Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Agent Chat Live. Agent Chat Live is a spin-off of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about both shows, visit pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake and Reframe. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, happy Thursday. Um, we're gonna get started in just a minute with Agent Chat Live, a couple announcements first before we do that. The Quarries, Qualms and Quirks episode with Mia P. Manansala came out today. So if you haven't checked that out, um, go ahead and do that. And I put a link in the chat, um, but you can also find it here on my YouTube channel. So whether you like to listen on podcasts or on YouTube, you can find it there. And then next week I am doing a workshop on, um, I just, sorry, I was going to get the link for you, but I can't get the link. It's not there. Um, on how to find a literary agent. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, I'm going to just find the link real quick. Oh, found it. And I'll put that in the chat too. So in a week, um, I'll be doing that one. And that will probably be my last workshop for a while. Um, so just a heads up on that. All right, and we're going to go ahead and introduce today's guest. Courtney Radike has been with the Belcastro Agency since 2019 and is based in the Pacific Northwest. She's a member and advocate of both the LGBTQI plus and neurodivergent communities. And when she's not working, Courtney spends her time spoiling her lab mix. I should have asked you how to pronounce that name. And her Calico Holly, we'll have her announce it when she comes on the screen. So welcome, Courtney. Hi. How do you say your um, dog's name? Rhaegar. Rhaegar. Oh, yeah. man. I can't believe I skipped over that one. All right. No um, yeah. So you can also find um, links to Courtney's website and MSWL and Twitter in the chat, I mean, in the down below, the description down below. So if you want to find out more uh, about her, you can do that there. All right. So Courtney, my goal here is to help potential clients get to know you a little bit better. Um, viewers are, of course, welcome to drop questions in the comments, but um, we don't really ask any questions that like a Google search can answer. So like word count questions or things like that. Um, and we also don't allow what I like to call pre-queries, which is like when people ask you if you'd be interested in their specific book. So um, if they were like, hey, Courtney, would you be interested in representing a book about mermaids set in space? Um, we won't be asking questions like that. Cool. All right. Hello, Laura. Hi, Amanda. Hello. I see a couple of you are also here without saying hi. That's fine, too. Welcome, everyone. All right, so we're gonna start it off with kind of a softball question. Uh, what categories and genres do you represent? Yeah, so I represent YA and adult, mostly in fantasy, sci-fi, contemporary, and horror. Um, I do take thrillers for young adults, not for adult, just for YA. Um, and I am still hunting for a novel in verse, which just to be clear, is very different from a poetry collection. Um, they are different. I don't take poetry collections, but if you have a novel in verse, I'd be happy to see it. <laughs> cool. All right. So why did you get into agenting? I guess, and how? Why and how? <laughs> yeah. So for a long time, like throughout high school, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. Like I love animals. Like I wanted to help them. Uh, and then I worked at a vet clinic for about a year and a half in high school and decided that I could not <laughs> do that. Um, it was too much for me. Um, so when I went to college, I knew that I wanted to do something in publishing, like reading and writing had been a part of my life forever. 
Um, so I knew I wanted to do something there. And I also knew I wanted to do something where I could feel like I was helping people. Um, but I wasn't quite sure like how to fuse those two things together. Um, and for a long time, I thought I wanted to do um, like be an editor, like at a publishing house. But after like researching more, I kind of realized that that was not quite what I wanted to do. That wasn't the role in the industry that I wanted to have. Um, partly because almost all editor jobs are based in New York and I went to school in New York and I realized I hate New York because <laughs> I don't want to spend my time there. Um, but mostly it was that I wouldn't quite have the relationship with authors that I wanted to have. Um, and it's not that, you know, editors aren't people who can help authors reach their dreams because they absolutely are. They're fantastic people to work with. Um, but when I found agenting, um, which I did like right after college, as I was like researching more into like publishing jobs that I could do remotely, um, I realized that agenting was something that would allow me to work very closely, like one-on-one -on -one with authors. And I wouldn't be beholden to a house's interests, which was a very big thing for me because um, you know, with agenting, my number one priority is my clients. So when I go into contract negotiations, when I'm, you know, working with clients and like working with the houses, um, my client is the only thing that I care about. Like, I want to make sure that they are taken care of hundred percent and I don't have to worry about what the, what my higher ups at, at a house are going to think or marketing or sales or anything like that. I just care about my authors. Um, so yeah. Um, that's the big thing is that I just get to just get to focus on the authors and help them reach their goals and their dreams. All right. Um, we have a question from Rob that I actually wanted to um, address because I've been having this conversation a lot today and yesterday. <laughs> um, Rob said, I'm about to query an LGBTQIA contemporary. We need diverse books is dropping own voices. How do I indicate I'm queer without using own voices in my letter? Just say I'm a queer author, any thoughts? So I would, just because We Need Diverse Books is dropping it and they're dropping it for good reasons, doesn't mean that authors can't use it for themselves. Um, and so just because they're, they're dropping it doesn't mean that you have to drop it if that's what you want to use. But I'll let Courtney add her thoughts too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the big reason that they're dropping it is because, you know, publishing houses and, um, you know, marketing was using it as a way to commodify uh, marginalized authors, which is not <laughs> what it was intended to be used for. Um, and a lot of it was used to like police identities and like force outings, which is, it, that's just not what it was intended for. Um, so yeah, you can totally just say that you're a queer author if you want to um, in your query letter. You also don't have to if you don't want to. Um, I have a spot specifically in my query manager forum that I ask, why are you the person to tell this story? Um, so that's a good place. Like if you have, um, you know, queer, sorry, my words are all jumbled. <laughs> if you have characters that are queer that reflect like your own experiences and everything, like that's a great place to put it. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna give you, Courtney, a chance to brag about yourself a little bit. I have to do this caveat because I find if I don't, like people will be too humble. Um, so take advantage of it and brag about yourself, please. If someone is thinking about querying you and your wish list lines up with their work, why should someone query you? Why would you be a good agent to work with? Okay, so this question, I struggled with when you sent it to me. <laughs> I definitely don't uh, brag about myself like very often. Um, and I, I think for me, especially being like a newer agent, like I have a couple sales under my belt. I've been in the industry for a few years. 
Um, but long term, like that's not very far into like my career, you know. Um, but I think for me, the, one of the biggest things that I bring to the table is that I have no problem being vulnerable and emotional with, like with my clients. Um, like obviously like the agent author relationship is first and foremost a business relationship. It's for your writing career. Um, but I absolutely don't believe that that means you have to be like clinical like with your communications with one another. And writing is something that you put your soul into. Like it's absolutely something that people are going to be emotional about um, and that it's very personal. And so I want to make sure that my authors know that they can trust me with these books that they're putting their whole selves into. Um, you know, if something amazing happens, I'm not just gonna like give you a very like lukewarm, like, this is great. Like I'm gonna be in your DMs, like screaming with you. And, um, you know, like I'm always trying to be emotive and make sure that my clients know that I'm going to be their biggest cheerleader. You know, um, I am a very editorial agent. Like I'm not going to pull punches when it comes to edits. I think three of my clients right now were R&Rs. <laughs> because I wanted to make sure that they could do the edits that I wanted to see from them because the books needed it. Um, but I'm also going to make sure that you know that I believe in you and that there's absolutely no question about me loving your voice and loving your works. Um, and, you know, while it's completely okay if um, agents, like, aren't super emotive. Oh, I'm sorry, I keep hitting my mic. Um, <laughs> Um, and, you know, it's totally okay if agents like aren't super emotive or if they aren't constantly giving praise, like that's totally fine. Like that's the, just the way some agents operate. And for some clients, like that's totally fine and that's what they prefer. Um, but I also know like that some authors like really just need to be reminded that their stuff is good and that they have somebody like a hundred percent in their corner that believes in them. And I'm definitely going to be that person for you. Nice. We are both having airplanes flying overhead at the same time. That is so weird. I know. I live by an airport. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm, where I am is not far from an airport either. So it happens a lot. That's so funny, though. All right. Um, so this is another one that kind of has like a little bit of like a caveat. Um, so a lot of times when this question is asked, it's like, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about the industry? But I'm such a pragmatist that, that upsets me um, because I'm like, we don't have a magic wand. So let's say instead, which is very similar to having a magic wand, you're the CEO of like, you know, Harper Collins or Penguin Random House and whoever else they're going to acquire. Um, what would you change about the industry if you could um, kind of in a, you know, not magic wand style, but you know, if you had a substantial amount of power, what do you think you would change about the publishing industry? Yeah. So, so yeah, like I know that these things like aren't going to be things that I can fix like right away or that anybody can really fix like right away. Um, but um, I have like a laundry list here. Um, <laughs> paid, paid internships, first of all, like as a norm for both um, publishing houses and for agencies across the board. Um, I personally, as an agent, would love to have a centralized database for editor information and something like Query Manager for agents to submit to to editors because it's a nightmare trying to find information on editors sometimes because sometimes the houses don't keep their sites updated and everything. Um, so that would be fabulous. Um, other than that, if everything could have the option to not work in New York, that would be fantastic. I know that there's been a lot of that with um, you know the pandemic and everything, 
but I have seen some people going back into the office and a lot of people are afraid that that's going to change. Um, and if it could stay that people could work remotely, like that would be absolutely great. Um, Cause there's not much in this job that you really can't do like from your home office. Um, another thing would be just how much pressure there is on debut authors like right now and has been for the last few years because mid-list titles like are disappearing um and putting the onus back on publishing houses for how well a book does because it really comes down to marketing and that's what you're <laughs> expecting from a house and a press like when you sell your book to them is that you're they're going to market your book for you um and i really wish that sorry my cat is at the door <laughs> Let her in, uh, let her in, let her in. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't get <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really wish that the the onus was put back onto the publishing houses and not onto the authors because that it's just not fair to authors to do that. Um, I also wish that houses would stop like selecting titles that they're going to push really hard during, for each season. Um, because they're guaranteeing that those books are going to do well when those are the ones that they're marketing really well. And then other books in the same season, like aren't getting the same marketing. So they're obviously not going to do as well, like if people don't know about them. And I really wish that, you know, they'd more give equal marketing to all of their titles that they have for a certain season so that each has an equal opportunity to do as well so that they can actually see like what readers are picking up. Um, because yeah, if you're putting all of your marketing behind one or two folks a season, like those ones are going to do well, no matter what. And then that just leaves the authors who don't have that marketing assigned to them kind of in the lurch. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I, the last thing would be not, not commodifying authors, like especially marginalized ones. I could probably go on for a while, but <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I mean, there, there are a lot of things in this industry and I think in every industry, like across the board that are definitely like wrong with the way that they operate and that aren't fair. Um, and I hope that we can move in the right direction because there are definitely people who are advocating and, you know, trying to make things better, like going forward. And so I hope that we can do that as we move into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when Turtles All the Way Down came out, I went to Barnes and Noble and the full length of the windows had like a window cling for turtles all the way down in every single window. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was like, how much did that cost them? Cause it's not just that Barnes and Noble and two, John Green doesn't need that promotion. <laughs> exactly. Like big authors get so much promotion all the time. And it's so frustrating to watch like as a new agent with a couple of debut clients like coming out in the next year to see that and it's like but they don't need that like they're gonna yeah. get picked up if they get like one piece of marketing because people are gonna see it and talk about it um but they're not gonna necessarily see my clients books who mm -hmm. aren't big names and you know don't have that marketing um and i mean obviously different houses different presses and stuff we're gonna have to, you know different yeah. stuff so it's not comparable like between houses um, but within the same house, within the same season, like it, I would really like to be able to see yeah. all of them get equal marketing opportunities. Yeah, because they'll do that and then they'll be like, oh, no, you can't even have bookmarks. Like <laughs> it's yeah. such a disparity. It really, um, really is. Yeah. All right. So we have a question from Emily. Um, what are your opinions on teen authors? How big of a difference does the author's age make? 
Yeah, so I absolutely think that teen authors can, um, you know, have great books. I think Chloe, oh crap, I can't remember her name, but these violent delights that just came out, I think it's Chloe Gong is the one that um, mm. sold it. I think she's a teenager, I think, or very early 20s. Um, I think Christopher Paolini was like 19 when he wrote and sold Aragon. He was so like I 14. Think, he was younger. Was he 14? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well then I was very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so it's definitely possible for teen authors to have amazing books. I think it's more about having manuscripts under your belt. So if you've been writing since you were itty bitty and have like multiple manuscripts under your belt by the time you're a teenager, um, you know, your craft is going to be farther along than somebody who starts writing when they're in like their mid 20s, 30s, 40s. Like it's, it's just about experience and like how much you've been writing. Um, and, you know, some of it does come down to, you know, what kind of life experiences you've had and just like where you're at, like mentally. And so every, everybody's going to be in a different place, like at any point in their life. Um, but I definitely don't discount like teen authors at all. Every once in a while I'll get one in my box and I actually get like really excited when I see teen authors in my box because I was one <laughs> at one point. And so it always just makes me really happy to see that. So definitely you guys are great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking Cody Kepling Keplinger was a teen author. I think her first book was 16-ish. Okay. Hannah Moskowitz was a teen as well. Man, I was, um, not, I was not there at <laughs> 16. But, but yeah, it's yeah. absolutely amazing when when authors are. All right. So if you sign a client, um, what can they expect after that? What does your process kind of normally look like? You know, what kind of communication do you have with them? That kind of thing. Yeah. So pretty much immediately, I think this is pretty standard for most agents. Um, we dive into edits pretty much right away. Um, so during the call, we most likely discussed, you know, what kind of edits, like I wanted to see like big picture. Um, so once the client is signed, like I will take the manuscript, I'll go back through and read it again. I'll make sure to leave inline comments and I do line edits as well. I can't help myself if I see something like I have to fix it. <laughs> I can't stop myself. Um, so once I have all of that done, I will send you back the manuscript with the comments and I'll also send an edit letter. Um, and then client will go ahead and do those revisions. I'll take it back. We'll do the process again. Most of the time at that point, um, it's just nitpicky polishing stuff. Um, so I'll send it back to them. They'll do those edits. And usually at that point, we're ready to go. Um, you know, if a draft is needing more polishing, then we might do another round. But most of the time, it's about two. Um, and then during the time usually like when my client has that last round of edits and they're doing revisions, like I'll hunker down and make sure that, you know, the pitch that we have is polished. Like sometimes I'll use um, pieces of the query that they sent me. Sometimes I start over from scratch. Like it just depends on the book. Um, also I'll have them send me the synopsis that they have and I'll tweak that and make sure that it looks, um, you know, pretty and clean and correct for a synopsis um, because synopses are really hard. <laughs> and so it's really good to like, just make sure that it looks all good and clean. Um, and I'm also putting a sub list together throughout this whole process. Um, and so normally during while the client is doing that last round of edits, um, I'll send them the finalized submission list um, of editors and houses that we're going to submit to. I always make sure that they're okay with every single person that's on that list. Um, and I also ask if there's anybody that they've maybe had their eye on that they want me to look into. Um, it's not always a guarantee that they're going to go on the list because sometimes I have more access to their wish list than like what kind of imprint or press that they work at. 
Um, and sometimes it's not the right fit, but, um, you know, I always ask because, you know, sometimes it could be fabulous and we add them on. Um, so yeah, at that point, I make sure that pitch synopsis, everything looks great with the client. Um, and when we're both happy, we'll send it out to the first round of editors and then cross our fingers and wait and hope <laughs> because it takes forever. Um, for communication, um, I personally tend to lean on messaging and email really heavily. I know some agents tend to do calls pretty often, um, but for me with ADHD and social anxiety, that does not, <laughs> just does, is not what I tend to personally prefer. Um, you know, I do always ask clients, like when I start working with them, if they're okay with that or if they prefer phone calls and video chats. Um, and if they prefer, you know, calls, then we'll absolutely like work out a balance um, to where we're both happy with it. Um, so far, that hasn't been the case. Uh, I find that writers tend to like to have written communication, which is great, great for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm pretty relaxed with communication um, for emails. Like we'll go back and forth with edits like on emails because, you know, you have the documents and everything. Um, and if there's like a bigger piece of information that I need to give, I'll typically like send an email or if it's something that they need to be like easily able to access like the submission list, like I'll send to them in an email. Um, but I interact with like all of my clients, um, mostly on like Twitter DMs. Um, you know, if they have a quick question, if I have a quick update for them, um, if they have something that, you know, they want to tell me, or if I have something that I really quickly want to squeeze with them about, um, you know, I'll message them. And sometimes it's even like stuff like not directly related to publishing. It's just like, look, it's my cute puppy today. Um, so like, I, I always just want to make sure that all of my clients feel like they can reach out to me whenever about whatever. Um, because, you know, especially with me, I've, had social anxiety for a lifetime and I know exactly how awful it is to feel like you're a burden on somebody and that you can't reach out or that what you're reaching out with is stupid or that you have a stupid question or a stupid update and your agent doesn't want to hear about it. Um, I want to hear about it. <laughs> so I always want to make sure that they know that they can reach out to me at any point. Um, I'm not always going to be able to get back to them right away because, you know, I'm a human being. I have to sleep. <laughs> I can get away from the computer sometimes. Um, but they're always free to reach out to me, whether it's on email, messaging, whatever, um, whenever they have a question. And it's never going to be like a burden on me. It's never going to make me irritated or anything to get a message from my author. I actually get like really excited when my authors message me because I love talking to them. Um, as far as like how much we communicate, that kind of depends on like where in the process we're at. Um, so I have one of my clients who's been on submission for um, for a while now with one book um, and she's working on something else. But at this point, she doesn't need any input from me. I give her updates when I have them for her book. Um, so that's about it. Um, when we're actively working on edits or you know submission lists and things, and things like that, it can be almost every day we're talking. Um, and then like my client right now that has a book coming out in October, we talk a couple times a week when she has stuff that she wants to talk to me about. So that's about it. <laughs> All right. So we have a question from Patreon supporter Lodestar. If you support on Patreon um, at $5 a month or more, you can submit questions ahead of time for our guests. And Lodestar went deep into your profile <laughs> and asked two, it's a two part question. Uh, what gives you the penchant for punk 
on how would you describe it since punk has many different meanings? So, yeah, so he definitely like grabbed that from my website, like at the very bottom of my profile. Um, and basically like throughout most of my life, like I've just liked anything with like an edge to it. Um, you know, I grew up in middle of nowhere, Washington state. Um, there is an Eastern side to the state. It's not just Seattle, I promise. Um, and so I grew up in a town that is mostly farming. Um, there was not much in terms of diversity or like really being able to like break out of like any sort of box that you were put in. Um, and so like, I was the person that would wear like five inch heels to school with spikes on the back or like have, <laughs> like, I don't do that anymore because I uh, put comfort over my shoes. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I was just always like drawn toward that. Like, I mean, I'm definitely not like as punky or like goth as a lot of people are. Um, I really love that aesthetic and I wish that I um, was more able to do that. I just don't have the capacity to like put the effort into my clothes and my hair and my makeup. Like I just, I can't do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, like any, anything with an edge um, is just what I tend to like. Um, and I'm so sorry. What was the second part of the question? <laughs> oh, uh, how would you describe punk since it has so many different meanings? Oh gosh. I mean, I think of punk and I think of like rebelling against the norm is a big part of it for me. And whether that's in big ways or little ways, um, whether it's, their dress or music or writing or whatever it is. Um, any Anything that kind of pushes beyond like what society like deems like acceptable, like that, it, that tends to be more what I'm drawn to. And not that I don't like like, you know, basic things or whatever, but when things come up that have that edge to them, it's just like a little like warm, happy light bulb. It's just like, oh, like I like that better. Like that's what I like. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that makes like any sense, but that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I do have a friend who specializes in punk genres specifically. Mm -hmm. She's a freelance editor. And one of the things that she explained that kind of like in terms of literary genres, not necessarily like aesthetic or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, what she said was it has to have an element of rebelling against authority or like going against authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, or changing societal norms. Yeah. Um, so that's a big thing. So one, so a couple of the genres that I really, really like that I'm hoping like resurge like a little bit um, are cyberpunk and steampunk. Um, like those are two of my absolute favorite genres. Um, and that's a big part of why um, a lot of the time they're grittier too and a little bit darker than what mainstream stuff is. And like, that is just what I'm drawn to for sure. Mm -hmm. And books, whether, whether they fall into those genres or not, like I tend to be drawn to that. Yeah. All right. So it's time for the quick round, just fun questions to break mm -hmm. things up early. <laughs> no one's judging you except for the caffeine source one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first question: What is your favorite snack? Uh, it changes right now. It's applesauce, weirdly. Um, but if anything has chocolate in it, I'm game. 
I forgot. I this is the first time ever. I forgot to do the. There's like a lead up to that question, actually. So when I, it's fine. It doesn't affect the answer. Okay. But um, <laughs> when I was like trying to come up with a name for this mm-hmm. this like interview series, um, I because I'm terrible at coming up with names. I asked my Patreon <laughs> to suggest names, and um, Lodestar had suggested snack time with an agent. I like that. I really liked it because I felt like it conveyed like the kind of casualness that I wanted. And, but I also worried that it would convey or imply that it was only for kid lit writers, you know? Gotcha. Um, so that's, so I didn't go with a name, but I did incorporate that question so that we would have that. In here. Um, all right. What is your preferred caffeine source? Tea for the most part, although if you live on the West Coast, uh, there's a caf- uh, coffee stand uh, called Dutch Bros that's very popular over here. Um, and they have these things called Rebels that is basically just like Red Bull and sugar <laughs> thrown together. And it's so good. Um, so, yeah, either tea or that. Wow. So Red Bull, like with more sugar. Yeah, like I, the one that I usually get is like strawberry and coconut, like mixed with oh. Red Bull. It's so good. Wow. All right. Um, I, now I want to try. Okay, focus there. Okay. <laughs> um, is there a word that you irrationally hate? Yes. Okay. So several years ago, um, so I met my husband in high school. Um, he's still best friends with his friend from high school, and at one point his best friend and I got into an argument over whether or not the word winningest was actually a word. And I was adamant that it was not a word because it doesn't sound like a word. (laughs) It sounds dumb. And so he Googled it and it is indeed in the dictionary and it's been years and my husband has not let me live it down. Oh no! (laughs) So I hate that word so much. That's a good one. I like it. All right. Um, oh yeah. So what person do you, that you, as far as you know, has not written one, do you want most want to read a memoir from? So I thought about this for a while. I don't read memoir. I don't read like nonfiction in general. Um, so I hope it's okay that I choose a fictional person because Uh, I would a hundred percent read Dwight Schrute's memoir. Um, (laughs) I really want it. Like, I feel like it would be really bizarre and crazy and I would want it. (laughs) I'm honestly a little surprised that it doesn't like, now that you said it, I just feel like, yeah, that's a thing that should exist. (laughs) Right? Right? Like we get snippets of his life and every, I'm just like, I want, I want to know <laughs> it wants to know more oh so, yeah all right who's your favorite superhero uh scarlet witch i think oh, i'm not okay. super big into like the superhero stuff but i do really like her mm-hmm. i like asking this question especially of like non-superhero fans like my niece said elsa and i was like yeah that's legit that's i like it i like good. that answer um our karen has a question <laughs> sam okay. dean or both <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> crap. Probably both. But uh, if I had to choose one, probably Dean, honestly. Okay. Probably. <laughs> I feel no, no, Dean. Definitely Dean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how is that the hardest question we've had? So <laughs> I don't know, because they're both wonderful. That's why. <laughs> All right, so I don't ask a lot of like querying advice, but this is my my one like um, allowance. 
What is your single best query letter tip? There are so many. Um, so the biggest thing I think that throws off the most queries I see is that you need to remember to focus on the actual plot, conflict, and stakes of your novel. Um, a lot of the time what I end up seeing is like a sentence or two about what the actual plot is, which is more of like an elevator pitch than it is a query. And the rest of the query is spent talking about like themes or why you decided to write the book or like what you're trying to do with the book, which is which is great to you know to have to know. Um, but that typically tends to be things that you either mention very, very briefly in your query or that you talk about, you know, on an offer call as you're getting to know the agent or getting to know you a little bit better. Um, because if I don't actually know like what the plot of your book is, um, especially when you're talking about genre fiction, which is mostly what I represent, um, then I'm not going to really know like if I actually want to read your book. Um, you know, I, I never take like just the query or just the pages and judge on that. Like I always read both. Um, and if I'm really unsure of like what a book is about, I'll usually take a peek at the synopsis as well. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes a, a lot of authors um, don't know how to write those very well either, um, which my coworker, Caitlin Johnson, always has wonderful tips on how to write good synopses because she's amazing at it. So uh, I would check her out if you're struggling with that. Um, but so sometimes I'm left without much of a synopsis and without much of a plot like going on in the query. And if the pages don't grab me, then I feel kind of stuck with, well, I don't, I don't really know what this book is about. So I don't, I'm not really going to want to read more. Um, so definitely like making sure that you're actually talking about what your book is actually like doing as a novel um, is important. Um, I do have like other, like on my website, I do have like a full page um, for querying help. Like if you want to have more help than just that one tip. Um, so, so you can look there as well. Awesome. And that link is in the description already. So you can go get that. Um, all right. So we had an interesting question from Francesca. I think that's how you say that. I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong. I've been researching self-publishing and would like to know what benefits or advantages an agent could provide? So I'm not, I feel like I might be misunderstanding the question. If you're talking yeah. about getting getting an agent and then self-publishing, that's not really how it works. Um, if you're just asking me like in terms of like traditional publishing versus self-publishing, um, I mean, I've only, I only know the basics of like self-publishing because it's not something that I personally like looked into myself. Um, I do know with self-publishing that you have complete freedom over what happens with your book. You have 100% say over your cover design and the layout and every single edit that goes into it. There's not a single person that's going to tell you you can't do something, um, which is not the case with traditional publishing. Um, you know, the editors that I've worked with um, absolutely take their author's um, opinions and everything into consideration and they do their best to make sure that their author is happy with um, every single edit and with the cover design. Um, but at the end of the day, the author doesn't have final say in edits and cover design and marketing and things like that. Um, so if you're somebody that wants complete control over what happens with your book, then self-publishing is a good route to look at. Um, the thing that's really hard with self-publishing is that you don't have anybody to lean back on for help. Um, and it, it's going to cost you money. So with traditional publishing, 
there's not really a point where you as an author should be required to pay anything. Um, if you are required to pay anything for like agents reading your book or to get something published, run away. <laughs> That's not right. Don't go for it. Um, because, you know, agents only make money when you make money as an author. So I only make commissions on books that I make for my authors and publishing houses should be paying you <laughs> for your books. Um, so that's a big plus is for traditional publishing is that you don't have to pay for anything. Um, and, you know, with self-publishing, you know, or sorry, with traditional publishing, you have teams of people that will handle your marketing, will handle finding a cover designer for you, will handle your page layout and making sure that everything is in the correct formats and getting things printed and everything. Whereas with self-publishing, you have to handle all of that on your own. And like you can hire people on to help you. But again, that's going to cost you money. Um, and, and so there's definitely just, um, you know, balances with the two on what's most important to you. Um, there are definitely plenty of self-published authors that do fabulously and love it. Um, actually, one of my clients right now um, is a hybrid author, and she's done really well with her fantasy series that she's published, and she came to me for her contemporary. Um, but yeah, it just really depends on what you're looking for as an author and how you want your book to be handled. Yeah, I've seen, you mentioned one of them, really only two instances where self-published authors have an agent. One is if they are hybrid and they're wanting, mm -hmm. and and that's me. Like I, I self-publish romance under a different name, and then I have an agent from a young adult. Um, but then the other one is, it it doesn't happen till later. Um, a lot of very successful self-published authors will get agents specifically for foreign deals, translation deals, and yeah. the, um, you know, other media that kind of thing. But you have to have a significant amount of success on your own before you get an agent for those things. Yeah, um, something that I see a lot actually is people pitching me or like sending me queries for books that are already published um, and already posted on Amazon. And, you know, a lot of the time in the query, they'll tell me, well, it's only been up for, you know, you know, a little bit amount of time, or I'm just trying to get it to a bigger platform. And I'm like, well, the problem is, is that publishers are going to see that it hasn't done like staggeringly well and they're not going to want to pick it up because they're only going to pick it up if they think that they can, um, you know, provide a wider audience for it and that they can make money off of it. And that if they see that it is not doing staggering, you know, really, really, really well, um, then they're not going to pick it up. Um, so that's what makes it difficult, like on the agent's end if something has already been published. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we have just a couple minutes more left. So I'm going to ask you, let's see, which question is there of the last three questions? Was there one you particularly wanted to answer? <laughs> uh, you, you pick. I'm good on, on okay. any of it. <laughs> well, since you're ready, then I'm going to ask this one. What is a good okay. literary name for a cat or a dog? So I'm biased because my dog's name is Rhaegar and that comes from Game of Thrones. <laughs> so um, I definitely am going to pick that one. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's, that's, that's okay. That was my favorite. <laughs> nice. Nice. My dog also has a literary name, but most people don't recognize it. What I mean, it? you don't like, if you hear the name, you don't think of it. It's Jasper. Is it Twilight? It is Twilight. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like slightly proud of myself for getting that. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Yeah. He was named Chester in the um, pound. And I was like, well, that's got to go like no matter what. Um, and we had 
because me and my sister had named him. We thought about calling him Cullen, but it just like it didn't fit, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so we were like kind of chatting, and we we're like, and we said Jasper, and he turned, and I think it's because it sounds similar to Chester, yeah. maybe. But we're like, yeah, that's it. And it's, like it's a perfect name for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Kieran had said Cleocatra. <laughs> I like fun. it. It's a good one. Puns are good. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you this other question, too, and then we'll, okay. we'll call it quits. What is your favorite thing about being a literary agent? Yeah. So I, I think I kind of mentioned it um, earlier on, but my absolute favorite thing is that I get to help authors like reach their goals and reach their dreams. Um, you know, I've been writing myself since I was a very, very little kid. Um, I know exactly what it feels like to put your entire soul onto a page and exactly how terrifying it is to even share it like with one person, let alone trying to get it published and have hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of people read and see this little piece of your soul. Like I know exactly how terrifying it is. It feels like you're throwing it to the wolves. Um, and I just love being able to be a safe harbor for my clients. Like, like I said earlier, like I, I get to be their advocate. I get to be, I get to champion their works, um, to editors and to publishing houses. And I mean, I think every writer knows it's very, very hard to talk about your own stuff. And I have that problem as well. But when I get to talk about my client stuff, I'm going to brag about you for days because <laughs> I absolutely adore my clients. And the fact that I get to be their safe person in an industry that can feel very, very unsafe and very, um, just very difficult and very hard to navigate that I get to be the person that they can rely on is absolutely my favorite thing. Yeah. All right. Maxwell said, going back to the dog cat discussion my cat was chester in the pound that's funny he's apollo now that's so funny because my cat is named athena but she was athena in the pound so. <laughs> oh. all right well thank you courtney so much for coming on thanks for having um, me yeah of course uh thank you to all of you watching whether you're watching live or watching the replay or listening on the podcast appreciate you however you're tuning in um if you haven't listened to my podcast queries qualms and quirks uh, just real quick, it ask, is ask published authors to share their successful query letter and share their journey from first spark to day of publication. So you get to hear a wide range of kind of like querying stories. Uh, and it's been really fun. And it, today was my 10th episode, which is exciting. If you don't know, like less than a third of podcasts make it to 10 episodes. So it's like wow. a, a benchmark thing. Yeah. So um, very exciting. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Hopefully, oh, so Saturday we have Pub Talk Live Author Journeys with Deborah H. Goldstein, who's a cozy mystery author. So hopefully we'll see you back for that. And uh, Wednesdays every day we're doing virtual write-ins. So hopefully you'll join us for that as well. We try to keep you on task. Sometimes it works. Um, I think that's everything. All right. Y'all have a good night and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you're enjoying this show, please check out my other podcast, Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. Queries, Qualms, and Quirks asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I interview authors of all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Search for it on your favorite podcast app.